So inside, I was just going through this emotional turmoil, and I had a family. Mm. I had a wife. I had two stepdaughters. I had a lifestyle that I created that we all got used to and really appreciated and liked. And it was hanging by a thread, and I wasn't letting anybody know, and I kept it all inside, and it was eating me up. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive the risk reduction checklist I've created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. And get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Also, in the community, you will receive a super special podcast listener discount on my six-week valuation masterclass bootcamp. This bootcamp is for those who want to learn exactly how to value companies like a pro and advance their career in finance. Go to myworstinvestmentever.com to join our community for free. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Academy, and I'm here with featured guest Jacob Rug. Jacob, are you ready to rock? I'm ready to rock and roll. Let's do it. I'm going to tell the audience a bit about you. Jacob specializes in helping coaches and the entrepreneur create the steps and strategies to growing or scaling their business so they can quickly double their incomes, increase profits, and figure out how to grow into their ideal lifestyle with a great team, more time off, and a workable plan to get there. And ladies and gentlemen, I know, like me, you want that. <laughs> Jacob is a certified business coach, certified fire walk instructor, and besides coaching leaders, runs live events that routinely do the impossible, like getting you to walk over broken glass and burning coals. He's mastered overcoming fears and limitations all of his life. Jacob knows how to face life and business challenges and now teaches and coaches others along the way. Jacob, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Yeah, thank you for having me and uh, thanks for watching everybody. You know, it's, it started with a little bit of turbulence. I was born three months premature in uh, 1959 in a town of about 7,000 people. So I'm a walking miracle. So I have been fighting challenges my whole life. My childhood was, you know, a little bit turbulent. I lost my father at five. Mm. I got split up from my brother at six and took a lot of physical abuse and molestation before I was eight years old. I had a few lifetimes under my belt. Mm. And through that, though, I established a really strong friendship relationship, which still grows 50 years later. So, you know, I won't talk about all terrible because the good that came out of that is the loyalty and the friendships that I still have. Mm. Um, but my life from 10 years, which is when my stepfather came into my life and he ended up being one of the, my greatest mentors, it taught me how to be a compassionate man. But all of this led up to me being able and willing to take some risk because my, my life was a risk. You know, I, mm. it was, I wasn't supposed to be here and I am. And so I think that, you know, uh, unconsciously it led me to that. And, and I've always been one that saw a possibility and without knowing any better, <laughs> which is probably a good thing at times, uh, I went for things and 
in life, we always go through them, but for me, they've worked out in the end. And so I have, you know, there's lots of tragedy in it, but there's also lots of triumph. And maybe, you know, I mean, I went through my tragedy as addiction at a young age and went through a lot of trouble. I didn't go through physical or sexual or other types of abuse, although I knew plenty of people that have experienced that. And I just wonder for the listeners out there who either have experienced that or that know someone that's experienced it and they don't really know how to handle it or how to deal with that or, you know, maybe you could just give one, one little piece of advice to, to help them to think about, you know, what are their next steps? Yeah, for me, it was, everything was closed in. I just kept it all to myself. Mm. And it was a series of being able to and willing to find some help. I've done a lot of work and probably my biggest growth spurt was at 56. So, and I've been doing the work since I've been in my Mm. early twenties. But I think that just go out and if you don't have anybody that you can speak to that can help, not empathize with you, but help you, then find a resource that you connect with. And when you connect, I mean, you you feel it here, not think Mm. it up here and go for it. It can change your whole life. And then in turn, you can change somebody else's. So for the listeners out there, reach out. It's not the thing that you feel comfortable doing sometimes, but it's the thing that can get you out of the dilemma that you're in. And it's not just, you know, the types of, you know, extreme situations, but, you know, in business, in life, when you're facing troubles, don't hesitate to reach out. And in fact, I reached out to Jacob to come on this show. So, you know, that's just another example. Reach out. You never know. There are people out there that will answer the call. Don't worry about that. They will come. (laughs) So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and tell us your story. Yeah, well, my worst investment, I'll get to that point, but it started by landing my dream corporate job. It was just, I was selling yellow pages. And at the time it was the prestige, one of the prestige jobs that you could get because they treated you like you were royalty almost, and they paid you really well. And not only was it a seven interview process, seven interviews, and each one they would say, if you do well in this one, you'll advance to the next one. So there was like all this pressure right from the start. But then it was 13 weeks of training. So it was a really intensive thing. So I had this position that I felt was just magical. And as it led forward, sometimes the worst people, when they don't know what to do with them, they make them a manager. (laughs) And I got one of those. And so it eventually led me to the point where after 12 years into it, I got tired of looking at the clock every Sunday night at eight and feeling a big letdown because 12 hours from then I had to be back at the place that I dreaded to be a part of. And this was, you know, I was making a solid good six figure plus income and it proves that it isn't about the money. We start out that way, but it really isn't about the money. It's about really the full circle of fulfillment. Mm. And I had always had the bug to be an entrepreneur, but wasn't willing to make that leap or investment. And I had a catalyst 
and it was that manager. And in reality, it wasn't. It was me. But that was the reason that gave me the onus to really kind of make that tough decision. And I became an entrepreneur. And I had meteoric success. It was fantastic. My first 10 months in business, we did 1.2 million in sales. It was amazing. And along the way, I had to learn. I had to learn how to manage projects. I had to learn how to manage other people. And it wasn't easy. I was used to managing myself. That was easy. Mm. But it's a whole different story. And that led me to fulfilling my five-year goal the first year. And being a creative and being a driven personality after three years in that business, I was like, okay, I'm good. I keep doing a million. Let's do something different. And that was the investment that I made that I took the leap. I sold the business and then I was going to invest in the tangible thing that you can always rely on, real estate, (laughs) right? At least that's what they said. So I believed it. And then I started investing in real estate and somewhere along the line, and this is where I think you come in so well, is keeping people reminded of what we're doing and why we do it. I lost sight. I bought single family homes and they were working well. And then it was like, I went to a seminar and it's like, buy uh, apartment buildings. And so I bought apartment buildings and they buy them in the worst areas. You make the most money. Well, they forgot. I forgot, and they forgot to tell me, oh, you have to actually go in those areas and do a bunch of work, (laughs) and I didn't want to go, and so what happened was I just, like a lot of people, I got into a situation, and I just hoped that the problems would go away without me doing anything, and I just, I would do what I absolutely had to, but I neglected everything that I could. And it was painful. It was emotionally painful. I didn't feel good about myself. But on the surface, if you ask me, everything's great. You know, it's that, uh, you know, I I don't like to use the word, but I was faking it, you know, and I was hoping that if I faked it, like fake it till you make it right. That's not the way it works. (laughs) And so, but I, I had this underlying thing where I, you know, I, I, I write poetry a lot and I wrote a song and one line says, I tried to be the big enchilada that was on the surface, but inside I was just a crumb. Mm. So inside I was just going through this emotional turmoil and I had a family. Mm. I had a wife. I had two stepdaughters. I had a lifestyle that I created that we all got used to and really appreciated and liked. And it was hanging by a thread and I wasn't letting anybody know and I kept it all inside and it was eating me up. And it was really one of the most emotionally shut off periods of my life. I shut off from my family. I shut off from my friends. I shut off from myself. And what eventually happened was in 2009, 2008, the real estate crash, what happened was it just revealed everything. It magnified everything that I was doing wrong and avoiding. And in 2009, I had to file bankruptcy and I lost everything I had ever worked for, over $2 million net worth. Mm. And the most painful part wasn't necessarily losing everything. That was painful, of course, but it was I made this unconditional promise to myself, not even to her, to my wife, that I was going to take care of her. Yep. And I let her down. Mm. I let my family down. And that was almost unbearable. Yeah. 
there were thoughts of <clears throat> maybe I should buy, you know, make sure I keep my life insurance premium paid up because this is almost to that point where it felt that unbearable, where I didn't want to exist anymore. Mm. And I remember two buck Chuck, if anybody knows it, it's a dollar 99 red wine, two buck Chuck and me hung out for about three months. Mm. And I was just trying to be numb, trying to avoid the pain that I, that I really had to face. And it was just, it was, uh, it almost took me out. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. And then I looked in the mirror one day and just realized that I hadn't looked at the person in my mirror for a really long time. Mm. And what I saw scared me. Mm. And that was the beginning of a little bit of a shift for sure. And what was that year then? Was that 2009 then you were? Yep. It was uh, the end of 2009. It was Mm. December because we were Christmas was coming up and, and, you know, I was literally living on about 15 to $20 extra a month. Mm. My confidence was shot. I was working at places, but I was so numb emotionally that I was just checked out, yeah. you know, and, and even to this date, I don't even know. I do know why, but I don't understand why my wife stayed. Hmm. I was, I was just a shell. I wasn't, there was nothing, you know, yeah. it was that blank stare. It was scary. for sure. Yeah. You know, one of the things I love about this show is that, you know, here we are a decade later and, you know, number one, we can honestly look back and, and see the struggle that we went to, but we can also, you know, see the value that we can bring to other people's lives by sharing those stories. And, you know, you've shared a lot today and I have some thoughts on what you've shared, but before I do that, I'd like for you just to review kind of what you would say are the main lessons, what you learned from this experience. Yeah, a really big lesson. And this happened the night of my bankruptcy. I I forgot to mention Mm. bankruptcy was on my 50th birthday, that (laughs) specific day. Happy birthday. (laughs) Right. And so I tried to mask it by saying, oh, it's just a new beginning. It's the halfway point. And, you know, I was thinking, man, this is the end. (laughs) Right. Mm. But the biggest lesson that was one of the biggest lessons was how wealthy I really was. Mm. They took away my material things. They took away the money. They didn't take it. I I looked around. They were celebrating my birthday, giving me condolences. You know, like people cared about me. I had, I was wealthy in friendships. Mm. My family was here. I was wealthy in family. I was wealthy in love. I'm healthy. I was wealthy in health. The only thing they took away was my material things. They didn't take away my ability. I just had to go and see where I left confidence in what closet. So that was one of the big lessons was how wealthy I really am and was at that point and what was really lost. And the other big lesson was they can take away our stuff, but they can't take away our knowledge and they can't take away your ability if you're willing to get up. And one of the things that I read in a book, which kind of started the shift was Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he talks about being worthy of your suffering. And that's how he survived through four years of being in concentration camps. And I realized I am not worthy of my suffering. I'm Mm -hmm. not showing up. And that was a shift. I didn't know how it was going to happen. I didn't know when, but I declared it and I started feeling it. People would say, what's going on? I go, I don't know, but there's a shift going on and it's going to be really good. Mm -hmm. And some people would go, 
okay. And other people would go, that's fantastic. And I had no clue, but I really remembered, you don't have to know how to do it. You don't have to know what exactly to do. You just have to get clear in what you're going to do and then take one step. And so I just started to take one step. That was it. Mm. There's no magic pill. It was, it was it hard work. Yeah, absolutely. But there was an energetic shift in my thinking from doom and gloom. And what did I do to, I'm not going to let this take me out. Yep. That was the shift. Yep. Well, maybe I'll summarize a few things I take away from this. One of the things is kind of interesting is, you know, if you look back at what you've shared about your youth and you've talked about kind of how you kept things in. And I think that that's, that's probably a behavior pattern of any, anybody that's been abused. You know, you're either going to lash out, as some people do, or for many people, it's private. It's, you know, kept in. And then to do that, to solve the situation at the time, it becomes a tool that you later apply in your life to try to solve the situation of, you know, it's an internal struggle. You don't share it with the world. You don't share it with other people. And, you know, that pattern, and I, you, you, you use the word neglect. And, you know, I wrote that word down because it made me think, you know, like for the listeners out there, you can't neglect your way out of the problem. You know, it doesn't go away. And so what you've also talked about is that once you sort of discovered that you had the wealth of your family and friends and, and that stuff, then, you know, you started to, started to, to learn. And I think the second thing is that you, you really, I mean, some of the words you said is exactly what I say when I talk about. It's a little bit different situation, but where, where we both ended up was pretty much the same, but how we got there was very different. I was in three different rehabs, you know, missed my high, senior year in high school, but in June of 1983, I walked out of a long-term treatment center from drugs and alcohol. And basically, I, I was 18. I had a new rule book in life. I had a new roadmap in life that I didn't have when I went in, that I had the tools. You know, in my cases, it was the tools of you know, a 12-step program and that type of thing. But I had the tools. And, and I had been sober for a while, so I had like, a lot of energy, and I was really excited about life but I literally had nothing, zero. And when I came out, I went home and I was really happy to be back with my mom and dad and we had been through so much. And then my mom in particular, but you know, my dad too said, well, you're gonna be 18 in you know, a, a month or so and you need to move out by the time you're 18. And I was like, damn, <laughs> just the time that I thought I was gonna be you know, living the life of my mom and dad, but no, you gotta go. You gotta make it on your own. And I went out and I had nothing. I, I had a little moped that I bought and I rode that to a factory where I worked and I went back and every night I went out to 12 step meetings with my friends mm. and we had a blast. I didn't have any money. I sometimes went home and had meals with my parents. I had to go to church at one point a few times to get like canned goods and stuff to get some donations so I could eat. I did go on food stamps for a short period of time. I really had nothing, but I was happy. Every night I was with my friends, getting to know more people and learning about how to, you know, get sober and how to live a happy life. And why is that an important, you know, that I kind of ended up somewhat at the same place where you were 
but from a different direction. But what I learned from it, I always learned, is that I, I am not my wealth, and I can lose all my wealth, and I still have everything I need to be happy. And when I went through the 1997 Asian crisis and almost lost businesses and lost wealth and all of that, and it was depressing. It was, de- you know, it's not like you, you're going to avoid depression because you've been through these types of things. Right. But it's just that I knew in my heart that I could lose everything and still be happy. And you, Jacob, remind me of that, you know, through your story. So those are the two things I take away. Is there anything else you would add? Thank you for that parallel, because it really is, you know, and, and happiness for sure doesn't come from outside. It takes us sometimes a long time to to get to that point where we understand what happiness is for us. But it's worth whatever it takes to get to that point. Because when you can really say, wow, maybe for the first time in my life, I feel happy. Mm. It's euphoric. Yeah. And once you find it, you never turn it away. You know, and that's the beauty of really the self-discovery we're both talking about here yeah so it's it's a great point i mean you know one of the one of the realities is that usually we have to be smacked in the face to (laughs) you know by some sort of crisis whether that's someone dying in our life whether it's losing whether it's failing whether it's being locked up whatever it is we usually end up having to face some crisis and um you know, I, I went into the 12-step programs then. I was 17 years old. And there was people that said, you know, I've spilled more, more beer on my necktie than you drank in your life. And I thought to myself, I didn't say anything. I just thought to myself, and what's your point? Right. And my point that I'm making is you got a choice, listeners. You got problems. You got challenges. You got to face. You can put it off. It will eventually come. And so for that guy that said he spilled more on his necktie and he got, got sober, let's say, when he was 50 or 60 or 70. And I got sober when I was 17. And to this day, I've enjoyed nearly 40 years of sobriety and a happy life. You make your choice, listener. Jacob is giving you a great story to help you think about it. But you make your choice. You, know, you face it now or face it later. And I think that's really a huge lesson that I want to take away from what you've said. Well, one thing that I would add to that is that it seems easier in the moment to not take a step, but it is so much more painful to stay where you're at. Any action that we take, any step we take, just the fact that we're taking this step is joyous and joyful. If you're looking at it from the right perspective, which is getting out of here, Mm. coming down to here, right? The longest journey, 14 inches, you know, from our head to our heart. But when you can go into your heart and you can open it, you'll find an amazing place to hang out. Like I said, I still am in growth. You know, I'll be 62 this year. And at 56 was one of my biggest turning points where... It was the first time I really felt pure happiness, Mm. but it was also a time where I realized, you know how I said I closed in, right? When I was young, I realized I'm 56. I have 
49 year friendships that are still like to this day there now there's 59 year friendships or mm -hmm. 50 plus year friendships yeah. that I still talk to these people like on a monthly basis. We're that tight. Mm. But I had 40 plus year friendships. I was with my wife almost 30 years. Nobody knew me 100%. I never revealed myself fully. And so if I can share one thing, it's about like the holding back. It doesn't help anymore. You don't require it to protect yourself anymore. At that point in time when I was young, it was beneficial. Mm -hmm. But we forget sometimes to let go of the protectionisms that we had when we were dealing with our tragic moments or whatever they are. We have to learn how to let those go. And I can tell you, as soon as I faced my stuff and realized that I was holding back, I wasn't sharing myself fully anywhere in my work, in my life, in my relationships. As soon as I, that got revealed, more than just to me, and I was able to face it, that was the biggest turning point. I walked this earth with an open heart. My work is better. My life is better. My relationships are better. Mm. So do what it takes to get that help that we talked about earlier, because it, it's the best wealth you could ever have. Great. And for those people that, you know, what you're saying resonates, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah. Well, I'm really active on social media on LinkedIn, but also my website. It's jacobroig.com. And that's Got my it. last name is just R-O-I-G, Roig. Got it. All right. Last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Yeah. Well, I'm in growth mode. So, yeah. COVID was tragic, you know, mm -hmm. in, in every area, but I was already working from home. So it wasn't this big, huge adjustment for me. And I had two options. I could either wait and see what happens, or I could get really proactive. And that's what I chose. So I, I started growing my business again. And I'm at the point now where I have two team members and I'm, I'm right now I'm in the process of looking to add a third assistant so I can keep my growth going. But yeah, I'm, I'm scaling. This will be my third seven-figure business for sure. Fantastic. Fantastic. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another inspiring story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com. Also remember Go to that community and you can get a special discount for podcast listeners to my six-week valuation masterclass bootcamp. As we conclude, Jacob, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of ASTOTS Academy, I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Uh, yeah. Don't let go of your dream, pursue it. And seek the help that you require. If I feel like somebody that would be able to help you, reach out to me. I'll share some time, just mention this podcast. If you're looking to build your wealth, I did my research. I highly recommend that you come back to this site and you check out the program and you consider becoming a member of Stats Academy for sure. Mm. And mm. I don't mean that because I'm on this show, I really did my homework and you know what you're talking about. And more importantly, you care. Yeah. I appreciate that. And that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our wealth. 
and even our health. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.